Good morning. How many liked that one day of summer? This was awesome, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I heard it was freezing, below freezing out here. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we go from what, 60 or 70 to freezing? Hello. Welcome to Oregon. There you go. Well, I have several things. Number one, I have a clipboard here. Uh, Oregon Family Camp volunteer list is coming up real soon. Uh, this coming Wednesday is the deadline for registration. And so if you're interested in participating, we would love to hear from you. And uh, uh, registration and money would be awesome uh, so that we can go buy food so we don't starve up there in uh, uh, Sky Camp. That'd be kind of cool. So uh, is there anything else that we need to know? No? Okay, good. Well, I have some really great encouragement. All right. Alan, are you ready? Here you go. Your hug, sweet smile, and conversation was such a blessing to me. Thank you for showing God's love. You shine bright. Let's give it up for little Addie. You got, you got one or two there. You got one or two. You got one? Right over there. Okay. All right, thank you, Alan and Liberty, for providing such an amazing dinner and good fellowship last Friday evening. You are such a blessing to Sharon and I. There you go. Well, Alan's not even here. Let's do it up. And Alan and Liberty. All right, thanks, Levi. Thank you for sacrificing your Saturday morning and your Saturday afternoon to help me by masterfully solving several electrical problems in my old Jeep. Let's get it for Levi. Way in the back, way in the back, way in the back, way in the back. There you go. Tell you what, I learned a whole bunch of stuff about what I don't want to try to do myself. <laughs> but I did learn sequencing about troubleshooting, though. That was really interesting. It was. It was great. It would have taken me twice as long if I would have done it the way I thought it should have been done. Because then he goes, and I go, you know, I would have done it the other way. And of course, probably wouldn't have even got done. So thank you very much. Appreciate it. Ken Weiber, I appreciate all you do to make our church building more comfortable. Thank you for being an encourager. Also, let's give it up for Ken Weiber. <laughs> and Scott and Miriam, I so appreciate your example of faith and devotion to the family of God. Your love for Christ and trust in God is truly inspiring. Amen. Let's get it for Scott and Mary. All right. Uh, also, too, uh, Jeff. Jeff did an awesome job this morning in Bible class. Uh, really uh, profound. You know, Eric, yours was awesome. And... Uh, you know, stepping right in and following up the the blessing of of uh, trust and then closeness and what we experience here at Pleasant Hill is really quite amazing and blessed because of God. So thankful for that. A couple of announcements I already shared with you that uh, this coming Wednesday is the deadline for Oregon uh, Family Camp registration. Also, there's a potluck coming up on February 18th, 5:30 dinner. 
uh, over at the Kirkpatrick's, Kirkpatrick's house. So Sunday the 18th. And then uh, Oregon Family Camp, of course, is 23rd, 24th, and 25th. And I have to share with you that the blessing of the men's meeting this last Sunday was tremendous. Just really tremendous. Uh, we're looking at uh, future plans for Oregon Family Camp. Uh, some of you know that uh, uh, Sky Camp has tripled, almost quadrupled its prices uh, in one year, which is like, how is that even possible? Uh, they said that supposedly we were getting a good deal or something, and it's always been that way. I'm not sure. I know Melissa suggested that's probably not true. Uh, they're trying to take the sting out of this quadruple uh, increase. Uh, but there's other, there are other options and some other dates. Uh, several of the men shared that concern for February. It's a continued, uh, continued concern of whether we're going to get nice weather, which sometimes we do, but more often than not, uh, cold and sometimes, like last year, snow. And one year we had snow so much that some people didn't hardly get out of Oregon in time because they were so snowed in. So we're looking at some other dates in uh, uh, April or May. So uh, stay tuned. We'll let you know. But anyway, we're thankful for Oregon Family Camp this year because the men suggested, and I think it's a really good thing, in light of what we see happening in the craziness of the world, that we need to learn to, to really, uh, and this may sound weird, but not depend on people from far away to come and encourage us. And you know, we hear so many encouragement. I mean, Eric did a great job, and Jeff's doing a great job, and, and when people stand up here, they take it seriously. And they do a good job of searching the scriptures. It's great to have people from, from out, of, out of town, out of state. And I think that's important. But what would happen in the future, and this is just a hypothetical, what would happen in the future if we did not have the ability to travel as easily as we travel now? You know, when we've gotten so used to having people come in and teach us how we need to, to operate and live. Honestly, what the men shared at men's, men's, the men's meeting was really phenomenal in that who knows this family better than this family? I mean, you can have people come from outside and tell us how to live our lives, but they live in a whole different culture. They live in a whole different world. It, people can't even begin to fathom some of the things that we have had to deal with here in Oregon. And looks like we're going to have to deal with even more so in the near future. And so they can't understand that. So when they come in and they preach and they teach, they don't have the context of this culture. And if you don't think Oregon has an unusual different culture, go out of state for a while and see. Those states have their own culture. But ours has a unique culture. And so I'm really thankful for the men, uh, several of them, sharing uh, that and it was an encouragement to you, and it really was actually a, a a call to make sure that we are meeting the needs of the brethren here. So, with that, thank you. I want to praise God for that. So, college age, uh, the experience of joy is the title of my lesson tomorrow night. How do we experience joy in the craziness of this world? Well, uh, as was shared by Eric, and has been shared by Jeff, and will be shared by Jeff. Our focus needs to be on the Lord. 
if our focus is on this world, our joy is going to be stolen. That's I'm preaching the choir. You already know that. So uh, I'm excited about tomorrow night. Uh, Sunday and Wednesday evenings, we'll be at the Kirkpatrick's starting this evening and uh, 6.30. The only exception will be what? It would be, of course, family camp weekend. And, of course, we'll be here uh, Sunday, Sunday evening. So any other announcements? Did I miss any birthdays? I don't think so. Any other announcements? No lady studies this week. All right. Well, let's, let's open in a word of prayer. Holy God in heaven, I'm so deeply thankful for the rich blessing of this life that you've granted to us in Christ. And Lord, although life seems to be more intense and, and more demands on our lives than ever before, and as uh, people become unraveled by uh, what we see, not just locally or or in this country, but really around the world. Uh, Father, it makes it a little bit more challenging uh, for us to continue to move forward. But Father, help us to remember that the joy of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, as was just uh, explained by Eric very, very well. Father, the joy that we have that others cannot know. In that Psalm 16, what an amazing passage those outside of Christ are overwhelmed with sorrows and they put on a tough face, a happy face, but inside they're just being destroyed. And yet for those who have the absolute rock solid hope, we can have joy even in the most difficult of times. As we've seen our brothers and sisters in Christ before, both in the scriptures and in the context of this body, we thank you. And so, Father, as we now begin to really open the door to all the different facets of hope and what it really means and, and how we can obtain it and grow it and share it, I pray, Father, that you would help us to really embrace the things that we learn. Father, it's been exciting for me to turn over every scripture on hope and begin to develop the concepts that would be delivered at family camp and then what we would do as a body as a congregation here this year. Father, I just pray that you would bless us in this journey this year and help us to keep our focus on the hope uh, that is set before us. Dear Lord God, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, I'm excited to have you turn to the love chapter. Say, what about the hope chapter? Well, let's turn to the love chapter to start. Of course, it's in 1 Corinthians and chapter 13. 1 Corinthians in chapter 13 and verse 13. And I bet you most of you have it memorized. Well, let's turn there and let's see. 1 Corinthians in chapter 13 and verse 13. After Paul gets done with sharing the most excellent way and why love is so important and how what love looks like and what love doesn't look like, notice what he says in verse 13. It's a beautiful statement. But now faith, hope, and love abide or remain, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Do you remember what uh, Paul said in Timothy? He says, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Well, notice... Truly, love is the greatest, but I'll tell you, as I've been researching, 
You really can't love selflessly unless you know that your life is absolutely rock solid, secure, and you can give it all up to others. You can't do that unless you're striving to protect and preserve and provide for yourself. And really, honestly, when it comes down to where we put our hope, if we put our hope in anything other than Jesus Christ, sadly, at some point in time, what we put our hope in will fail us. And so our hope needs to be in the Lord. The hope of Israel was the Lord. Is the hope of the Christian man or woman the Lord? Well, let us begin this adventure by listening to what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. Listen to what he says here. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Who is the one who wants to steal from you everything, including your soul and eternity? Who? Well, the devil wants to. And how's he going to do it? He's going to do it through the agencies of others and through situations and circumstances that challenge you where you're at personally and in the relationships that you have. Satan is working to unravel not just the culture, but more importantly, the child of God. For the child of God is the only one that can pierce the darkness and open the door for people to see that there is a way out. And so for us, we need to recognize Jesus finishes that verse with, I have come to give you life and give it abundantly. So where does the abundant life come from? Where is the, the foundation or the pillars or, or the source of this abundant life? It's faith, hope, and love. These th three things remain. In the next several months, and in this morning, particularly, as just a kind of crack in the door open, I want to show you that faith, hope, and love are interdependent. Interdependent. You can't have hope without faith. You can't really love as God has called us to love without hope. And that love that you have through the faith that you have in Jesus Christ is going to provide hope for all others in your life. Can you imagine? How can you give something to someone that you don't have? How can you love someone if you're more concerned about yourself? And so faith, hope, and love really are the foundation for the Christian life. But how often do we hear sermons about faith? How often do we hear sermons about love? I don't know about you, but I've preached a lot on faith and I've preached a lot on love. But can you remember any sermons that I've actually specifically preached on hope? No. I can't either, honestly. I'm derelict in my duties. I'm only two-thirds of a preacher. <laughs> no more. <laughs> I repent. Actually, remember I said that the sons of Issachar were an amazing group of men. They recognized the times and the culture 
and they knew what to do. And I'm so thankful that I was inspired uh, by that passage of scripture that I was encouraged by, by Tamara. And it's become kind of one of my bellwether verses. I want to constantly think about what needs to be taught for the body here and for the individual to consider the needs and then how best to meet those needs. And my prayer has continuing, continued to be, Lord, help me to prepare our minds for action, to prepare our minds to, to fight the good fight in the context of what the culture might bring. And so this morning, I pray that the introduction will show you the interdependence between faith, hope, and love. So let's begin in point number one. Point number one, the biblical definition of faith. The, the biblical faith that we are to possess is the foundation for hope. Well, let's turn to the classic passage that shares all things about this truth, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Hebrews 11 and verse 1. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time there because you, most of you know this very, very well. If you have a King James this morning, that's pretty awesome because King James really does a better job in, in uh, defining what faith is in this verse. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the, the conviction of things not seen. Now, the King James reads a little bit differently. The King James says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of of things unseen. The power of hope based on faith sees, knows, and lives their life based upon hope. And so faith really is the foundation for hope. Now, what is faith? We know this. The word pistis, and just real quick review. Pistis is being convinced of what is true being absolutely sure what is true, and then relying upon that truth to govern your life. Simply stated. Go back and look it up in the Greek. That's what it means. But, but notice it says faith is the assurance of. That word assurance literally means, and I better read it because I'll mess it up, setting under a support, a foundation. A substance, a substructure. Faith is the substructure you need to have hope. Now, hope in things unseen. Now, let me ask you a question. Hope in things unseen. Do you believe in guardian angels? Do you believe in guardian angels? Do you believe that every child has an angel? The little ones here this morning have an angel. Your two little girls have an angel. Your five little ones have an angel. Some of your little ones are not so little anymore. <laughs> they have an angel. But remember, Peter, when he was in prison, when he came and knocked on the door after the angel, I'm assuming it was his angel, had escorted him out of prison, one of the little slave girls that was there in the house goes back and goes, Peter's angel! 
Or she said, Peter's here. They said, oh, this is just his angel. See, we have a guardian angel. Some of us need a guardian angel more than others. I'd like to say I'm one of those that doesn't need one, but when do I need one? But do you believe in angels? Do you believe there's angels in this room right now? Do you believe there's also opposing forces unseen in this room right now who are vying for your attention that you would not listen, that you would not embrace, that you would not go check out and see if they, these things are so? But you know, angels are just ministering spirits. That's all they are. You're saying, well, they're pretty amazing, aren't they? Well, yes, of course. But oftentimes people focus on the angels and Paul says specifically, don't do that. Do you believe that the Lord Jesus knows your every thought? He has counted every hair on your head and when they fall out, he goes, oh, that's one less. Do you believe he does that? You're saying, why would he do that? Because he said he knows that. But more importantly, he knows every tear and he keeps them in a bottle. You're saying, what does that mean? That's kind of a weird concept. It means that he knows every heartache and hurt that you've ever experienced. And he's the God of all comfort. And he will comfort you now and he will continue to comfort you in the future. Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, then you're going to suffer bitterness. You're going to suffer because of all of those things in your past. But if you know that Jesus cares and is ministering and will minister to you, through the brethren, through those who care about you. Brethren, it's so important for us to realize that's true. Now take a look here at, at Romans and chapter 4 and verse 16 through 21. I honestly believe that we must understand that our hope is secure only in the death of burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Take a look with me in a couple passages of Scripture. Go back with me to the book of Romans and chapter 4. Our hope is found in our faith in Jesus Christ. Beginning in verse 16. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. For this reason it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise that God made to us will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, those are physical, biological children of Abraham, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. In the presence of him who he, Abraham, believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist, in hope against hope, Abraham believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to what that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Now without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. Uh-oh. My plumbing's dead and so is Sarah's. No chance of having a baby. He considered that truth, but notice what it says there. Without becoming weak in faith, contemplating his own body now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now look at verse 20. Here's the power verse. Yet with respect 
to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, uh, giving glory to God and being fully assured, being absolutely sure that what God had promised, he was also able to deliver. Are you absolutely sure that God promised you that if you are immersed into Christ by faith for the crucifixion of the old man, for the burial and removal of the old man, so that the new man, Christ Jesus, could be placed in your body, so you would have the power to walk in the newness of life, to be more than a conqueror, to overwhelmingly conquer through Christ who loved you and gave himself for you. Do you believe then that you can be victorious at any moment, at any time, in working with and through whatever Satan could throw at you? Do you believe that? See, that is hope. That is joy. Because you know that he overcame, and the one who overcame now lives within you. Now I want to go back and look at a verse that's kind of a weird verse. Now, I hope God doesn't get upset when I say that. But look at verse 18. This, this verse I've always struggled with. In hope against hope, Abraham believed so that he might become the father of many nations. Does that seem odd to you? It seems like hope is in conflict with itself. In hope against hope. The word against there, as I've studied that word from many different uh, uh, tools, that's not the right word. In the confidence of hope. The word hope, by the way, defined is the confident, joyful expectation of what God has promised being granted to you. Go back and look it up. Elizabeth, the confident and joyful expectation that what God has promised, he will deliver. Did God promise that he would give you the Holy Spirit if you believed and were immersed into Christ? What's the answer? Let me try that one again. This is for audience participation. And it's just, a, it's just a yes if you want to know the right answer. Okay? So, did God, did God give you the Holy Spirit when you were immersed if you did it by faith? What's the answer? Yes. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Man, bring the sun out of it. It kind of livens people up, okay? The clouds, don't fall into that Oregon trap, okay? I'm just saying. But notice, if you know that to be true, and you know the fullness of God dwells in you, do you then have, by faith, the power to be more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus? The answer is yes. Will you embrace that? Because notice, the Apostle Paul got it figured out. He was singing for joy in prison. More than once, by the way. How can you sing for joy in such a nasty, vile place if you don't have hope? If you don't know that God is using this experience to move in the hearts of others who came in there almost instantaneously and fell down before his feet and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That joy, that hope that he expressed pierced the darkness in that Roman soldier's heart. 
who had never heard about God until then. Hey, if he's stuck in a Roman prison, I don't think they're talking about God in the break room, right? There's power, brethren. Are we going to embrace that? Are we going to read and embrace that truth? Are we going to choose to be joyful, not always smiling and happy and singing, but always focused on the power that God has granted to us and be content and peaceful and expressing that in how we work with people. Brethren, let me turn. have you turn with me to 2 Corinthians. This was read last week, I believe. And wow, it is such an overwhelming passage of scripture on hope even in the worst of times. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Listen to the Apostle Paul. This is absolutely amazing. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, and we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. So beyond our strength, notice, we, me, in ourselves, couldn't handle it. Beyond our strength. So we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have what? Set our hope. And he will yet deliver us. Notice the hope that Paul experienced even in the most horrible of times when he felt like death was imminent just around the corner, was what? Is that God has delivered me, God is delivering me, and God will deliver me still. That's powerful. And so he could write a letter in regards to comforting those souls who are struggling because God had comforted him. He realized that God was allowing these things that he might not trust in himself, but trust in the only one who has always and will fulfill his promises. You put your hope in anything else. And may it, it might not fail you until you get to judgment day. But if you put your hope in anything else, it will fail you on judgment day if not before but how often times have people put their hope in people? People put their hope in things. People put their hope in politics. People put their hope in money. They put their hope in their job. They put their hope in their health. They put their hope in everything except for who? The one that does not change. Brethren, you need to see that when we have that kind of faith, we will have that kind of hope. And that hope is seen by people, experienced by people, and they draw near because they want that hope because they live hopelessly in a hopeless world outside of Christ. Now, brethren, I want to turn to the last, the last uh, point on the back of your page there, and that is biblical hope drives us, motivates us to the sacrificial love of God. Look at Acts 24. Acts 24. I want to read it in uh, verse, beginning in verse 10 to get a kind of a run-up to the statement here. Paul's on, Paul's on trial. He's uh, uh, been in prison and uh, 
the Jewish people want to kill him because he's been preaching and teaching Jesus and they hate it, they can't stand it. So notice what he says here. When the governor had nodded, when Felix had nodded uh, for Paul to speak, Paul responded, knowing that for many years you have been a judge to this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. Since you can take note of the fact that not more than 12 days ago, I mean, this is recent events now, I went up to Jerusalem to worship, neither in the temple, nor in the synagogues, nor in the city itself, do they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot, nor can they prove to you the charges of which they now accuse me. But this I admit to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men, these men, by the way, that are accusing me, which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. And in view of this, I also do my best to maintain a blameless conscience both before God and before men. You know, when I read that, having a hope in God, again, where do you put your hope? Having a hope in God. And you know what? What's the hope based upon? A hope that every soul is going to be resurrected and those of us who have walked faithfully, righteously according to his word will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. And those who have served themselves, who selfishly used others for their own gain, those people will no longer be around you. No longer to be hurt, no longer to be used or abused. Have your things stolen, have your things, having you killed and things destroyed. Ever gone. I don't know about you, but that's an amazing hope. So the point here is, is our hope is based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you have no hope. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, you cannot be saved. Have you read Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10? If you, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you shall be saved. If you believe in your heart that he is raised from the dead, if you confess with the mouth he is Lord, you will be saved. Notice you need to believe the resurrection because then you will live differently and your life will be such that people will be drawn to Christ Jesus because of the hope. When anybody's in a hopeless situation, are they looking to get out of that hopeless situation? Unless they're so beaten that they've just given up. Sadly, there are people in this life are in that place. Just given up. But even the light of the love of Christ in you can pierce that darkness. I want to prove that to you. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. Then understanding and a conviction that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead is essential for us to change the world and touch the individual human heart. Take a look with me. 
And we're just going to read the first section here to show that if you don't believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, your life is most of all to be pitied. And I'm not saying that to be cruel. I'm going to be quoting the Holy Spirit. Look with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. You know, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, foolishness, useless. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Now you need to go back and grind on that for a while. But you know what he's saying? If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And if you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, then Christ wasn't raised. And if he wasn't raised, you're still in your sins. And if you're still in your sins, your life is a waste of time. Eat, drink, and be merry. Get it all now, because there's nothing after this. You're saying, man, you just said that? No, God just said that. And he's going to say it in our next passage of scripture. Why is this verse important? If Christ is not raised, life is meaningless. People who do not believe in Jesus Christ and do not believe that he was raised from the dead, breaking the power of sin and death, destroying the power of devil, giving you hope and life and peace and power in this life, if you don't believe that, then life is just bumping around from one experience to another. No matter what you try to get your thrill out of, that thrill will go away and will fail you. It will. And so, brethren, I pray that we would listen very carefully now to the next passage of Scripture. Look in your notes. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 29 through 33. How many of you have studied the elementary teachings and have seen that the, the being baptized for the dead is not a, a pagan baptism. It's not a baptism by proxy like the uh, Latter-day Saints say, but rather it's another way of talking about the baptism of suffering to help people become Christians. How many went through that lesson? See, that lesson is very misunderstood, but contextually you can understand it. And I'm not going to try to help you understand that whole thing, but I do want you to know he's talking about Paul laying his life down so people could be saved. Verse 29. If there's no resurrection from the dead, what will those who are baptized uh, do for the dead? What will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they being baptized for them? And then he goes on in verse 30 through 32. Why are we also in the same manner in danger every hour? He says, uh, 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 why are we, uh, uh, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, or I die daily. Why would Paul die daily? If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, 
What does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Wow, that's pretty painful. Bad company destroys good morals. It'll wipe your faith out. So what's the point here? Why did Paul die daily? Why did Paul fight with wild beasts in Ephesus? I should say, why was he thrown to the wild beasts in Ephesus? Why? What was he doing? Well, he's doing one thing, wasn't he? What was Paul doing? Come on, tell me. Trying to save souls. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Notice, he was sacrificing himself. Brethren, why did Paul do that? Because he had to? Did Paul seek to save souls because he had to? Study the Apostle Paul. Take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. You know why he was saving souls? Because God saved him and he knew he was a dirt bag worse than any other dirt bag sinner that had ever lived and ever would live. The Holy Spirit let him say that. I'm the foremost of all sinners. You know what drove him? The salvation that he received, he wanted everybody else to experience. If you don't understand that, you will not be driven. You'll not be motivated. You'll just bump from this activity to the next, next church potluck to the next church potluck, next family camp, next family camp. You're just going to keep going. You're not ever going to engage in the fight. You're never going to engage in helping other people come to a saving knowledge of Christ. You'll never engage in the body life that you were talking about this morning. It's just a couple hours of my week. Just go down to the church building, hang out with some folks, and that's about all. Can't be that, brethren. That's not faith. That's not hope, and it will not produce love. You know why Paul was driven? Because God saved him, the worst of all sinners. And he wanted other people to experience the same thing. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 15. Listen to what he says here to the brethren in the city of Corinth. By the way, if you know anything about the church in Corinth, if you know anything about the city of Corinth, before Paul got there, they hated, hated anything or anyone or any God that would keep them from practicing their nasty, vile religions. They had temples with male prostitutes and temples with female prostitutes, and that's where they went to worship their gods that's sick man that's sick Paul comes into that town and begins to preach do you think he had a warm welcome no and even after those people became Christians they were struggling to get out of that mindset and so he makes this statement and it's kind of sad because the people don't like him very well even though he invested Days, months, years in helping them. What does he say here in verse 15? I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more 
Am I to be loved less? His heart's breaking. He loves people and they don't love themselves enough to embrace what he's teaching and they don't love him for teaching what he's teaching. And yet he still labors that labor of love. Because he has a hope. He has an absolute conviction that what, prompt, what God promised him, he would promise to everyone who would by faith become a Christian. Brethren, I would ask you to consider if you're a Christian, do you have a hope based upon absolute conviction of your salvation? Absolute conviction that you have the power that is needed to help other people be drawn to Christ. And that so much so people experience that hope in you. Do you have to be thrown in prison and sing psalms of praise to God to get it done? No. If that happens, will you sing praises to God to get it done? Let's grow our faith. So we grow our hope. So we can sacrifice all for others. Amen? All right, let's pray. Holy God in heaven, I pray as we take a look at all the examples of hope. Hope is built upon Christ sacrificing himself for us in love. We would have no hope if he did not love us more than he loved himself. We would have no hope if he did not trust and believe in his father's plan so much so that he would lay his life down for others so that others might be saved help us to see that picture for our hope is jesus christ in the fullness of who he is and i pray father that we would manifest that in the weeks and months and years to come not knowing what is ahead but preparing for what's ahead i pray in jesus name Amen. All right. What did Jesus say to do? Go! Let's try that again. What did Jesus say to do? Go! Get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Jesus Christ is still the king of kings. King of kings. All right, let's get her done.